Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. It is that time of year again. The Gullick Subpar Classic is returning to Notre Dame for its second rendition. Last year, the two-day event raised $100,000 for local charities around South Bend. The Night on the Green will be held this Sunday ahead of Monday's Celebrity Golf Classic. You can visit GolickFamilyFoundation.com for more information, and you can listen to us now catching up with Mike Golick Sr. Mike, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. How y'all doing? Doing pretty good. Good, good. How how rewarding has it been to see the Golick Subpar Classic sort of evolve from an idea to an event that's now in its second year? It, you know, it, it's still kind of a nervous thing of, you know, I, I played in a lot of these, but now when you're asking people, to kind of take up their weekend, you know, it's, it's kind of a hold your breath and see who can make it or who wants to make it. So you try and make it a really good experience for the celebrities coming in and also for the golfers. One thing we've said is we want to make sure everybody has some good swag. So they'll, uh, hmm. so they'll, they'll want to come back and we want to try and keep it the same time every year, like that 25th, 26th area of June every year. But yeah, it's, it's always nervous. And then it's nervous, you know, listen, we're trying to raise money. So it's nervous on the day when you're doing live auction items. Do you have people there that'll bid up on things? The golf part, I don't worry about. The golf part is kind of the the end of the thing. Everybody's out there drinking right. and smoking cigars. So <laughs> who really cares how we golf? <laughs> <laughs> who is the good golfer? Who Who are the good golfers? Well, last year, the winner of it was my former teammate with the Eagles, Jeff Fiegels, who was a punter in the NFL for 22 years. Wow. So he came and a guy who was the center for the Eagles when I was there, Dave Alexander, uh, Jeff, Dave, myself, and our wives hung out together a lot in Philadelphia. Actually, our wives were all pregnant at the same time there. So we've, we're, we've remained really good friends with them. But Feigs, um lives in North Jersey, he belongs to Ridgewood, and he's like the club champ there. So again, he's a friggin' punter. They're like quarterbacks, you know. <laughs> they 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 they're able to they're able to golf. And he's now all kidding aside, he's a he's a great golfer and he won. The problem is he went to the U and he was never been a Notre Dame fan. And first prize last year were Notre Dame gold helmets that uh, that he had to take home. And and he was like, I'll give it back if you want to give it to somebody else. I said, No, 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 you gotta take it. So this year we're gonna go. Uh, with green jackets for the winners, but like, like satin type of green jackets, you know, not, not, not like the, the master's green jacket, but different kind of green jacket. So we like to kind of mix it up. Which of your fellow podcast hosts is the better golfer, Mike Jr. or Jessica Smetana? Jess won one of the awards closest to the pin. She's really good. Mike hits it a mile, but you don't know where it's going to land. Occasionally he'll hit it. He plays a, like a slice. So he aims way left. And, you know, when you do that, you end up hitting it straight and he hits it two fairways <laughs> over. But when but when he hits it, he plays irons pretty well, hits them really high and far. Um, so he plays well. But Jess is pretty consistent uh, on the golf course. She doesn't lose nearly as many balls as Mike does. <laughs> well, I, I heard that you're going to be very ambitious with raising the bar as far as the goal for raising money this year. So maybe a quarter of a million, if I'm not mistaken. And then my my question is, can people still get involved in some ways? Can they still get in foursomes? Can they still go to the party? Can they contribute in some other way? Yeah, I mean, you you gave out the website in the beginning. That's where people can find out all the information of, uh, I'm not sure if there's any golf spots left. We may squeeze some more in, but we we, we never want it to be, you know, a six hour round of golf. You know, yeah. that, that's the trouble there. A lot of people want to golf. 90-degree day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I would golf in the money after the Masters for with Hootie and the Blowfish, and it was a seven, seven-and-a-half-hour round. I mean, because wow. there were sixums, not fivesums. There were sixums. And mm -hmm. listen, wow. they raised a ton of money, and I didn't care because I had a beer in one hand, a cigar in the other hand, and occasionally a club in my hand. <laughs> but, you know, that that's a long day, so – yeah, you know, I was just at Greg Olson's tournament in uh, in Keough Island, South Carolina, and he said a couple of foursomes had to drop out, and he didn't fill them. He's like told the people running it, don't fill them, because I want this in four, four and a half hours. You know, keep it moving. So that's kind of where we are. We could have done more, but we don't want it to be that long of a day. 
So we make sure we, we give the golfers again, really good swag. And, and, you know, we, we raised uh, the price a little bit this year. Last year was the first year. We didn't want to price anybody out this year. We raised it a little because there was good response. And, and I don't, I never apologize for it. We're trying to raise money. Yeah. You know, when we get to the Sunday night event, we're doing the live auction. I'm trying to get in everybody's pocket. Um, the one thing, so there are still some sponsorships if people want to get involved, if they just want to donate, they want to get involved. But one thing we also do is the silent auction will be open to everybody, not just the people who are there Sunday night. It's to the public. So they'll be able to go on and see the silent auction items and bid on them as well. So everybody will have a chance at those. And we have some some pretty good stuff. Um, so that that's one way the public can get involved. There's still some sponsorships. I'm not sure how many are left. We usually do a really good job with, with getting those out there. But silent auction items, we wanted to make sure more people had a chance to get them. Mike, I really appreciate how you or you and your family and how much you've embraced the South Bend community beyond just Notre Dame. I'm not sure that always happens for Notre Dame students while they're in college. When did that happen for you? Well, I mean, you know, when when hell, I've been I've been at Notre Dame since 1975 when my brother Bob was a freshman and and basically there until 2016 when Sydney graduated. Um, listen, we we all loved it here. Uh, even though my football years didn't go the greatest, uh, my son Jake had injuries here, which certainly hurt his time here. Mike started later in his career and did get to start in the national title game against Alabama. So, you know, there were some good moments and some bad moments, but that happens everywhere. Uh, but the one thing that, that all the kids uh, enjoyed was the school, was Notre Dame. Were, were the the whether it was student athletes that were their friends or the regular students that were their friends they all had a great experience here and this is kind of the center point for us you know jake and his wife jenny who ran track here at notre dame they live in boston mike's out in la sydney is in in arizona where we are you know half the year so this is kind of a nice meeting place for everybody and it's like family it's like family area to us. So we really wanted to give back to the community here and help as many people uh, as we could. And people really stepped up last year. And then Credit Union One jumped in and partnered with us so we can help even more charitable entities, which we're really happy about. And, and does this serve as your grandson's first birthday celebration as well? This is. So last year, yeah, it was pretty wild. Obviously, Jenny, she was about ready to give birth, so she couldn't come out here. Jake would try to sneak out here for a couple of days. He literally got here, literally sat outside, cracked a beer, and Jenny texted him and said, my water broke, I'm heading to the hospital. He's like, you got to be kidding me. So he had to fly back right away and, and was there for the birth of Jackson. So he's going to be about one. They're all here now, Jenny, Jake, Jackson, and the dog Chip. We have a nice little uh, caddy outfit for Jackson to wear oh, Sunday nice. night and Monday for the tournament. So yeah, it'll, it'll be his, his one year birthday and, and they're all here. So uh, the only one that won't make it is uh, Ben Sydney's wife. He's in medical med school. And because the, the tournament golf is on Monday, he has to be in school then. So he's, he was here last year, but he won't be here this year. Everybody else will. I could almost envision Jake cracking a beer when he walked into the hospital, but that's a. <laughs> <laughs> I think he cracked many a beer on the flight home before he got to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. What's what's you mentioned you live in Arizona part of the year and here part of the year. What's been the experience of living in South Bend uh, for you and, and Chris? Uh, again, I mean, it, to us, it's like home. You know, I mean, by the going to school here, you know, coming back here when our kids were in school here, having mm -hmm. a couple condos and Irish crossing and you know, having a house on Notre Dame Ave. I mean, it's just a place that we're really comfortable with mm -hmm. uh, and being around and being here and everybody just kind of stops in when they can. I guess I guess it's, it's family and it's comfort um, for us. We'll, we'll, we'll never get rid of this house. Um, the kids will, will, will want it, you know, when we're long gone to keep it and just hang out and we have, to, you know, season tickets and we'll keep those. And we just love being around, you know, and the six months we're here is we get kind of the best of both worlds. We get here in May, right as the students leave. So we get on the golf cart, which is still the greatest purchase I ever made here. And mm -hmm. I still love the golf cart more than my kids. 
Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll golf cart the dogs over to the campus and let them run around because there's no students around. So we get that part of it. And then obviously we get them coming back to school. We get the football atmosphere. And I can go to those games before I call my NFL games on, on Sunday night. I usually do those games. So it's just, it, we, we just love it. Absolutely love being here. And, and when you go out for groceries or the hardware store, or whatever, do people like to say, what's Marcus Franklin going to do this year? Or, or do you, are you able to kind of do that with some? Uh, no, no, people ask, okay. people ask, well, you know, <laughs> oh, hey, how you doing? Because we're now in our third year, you know, we are second year, I think, of the of the six months here, six months in Scottsdale. So people are getting used to seeing us here and out and about at the restaurants, you know, yeah. uh, and Martin's just like you said. So it's, Hey, you know, what's up, Mike, how you doing? What's going on? How do you think we're going to do this year? You know, there's always the talk of how are the Irish going to do? And I get it. You know, I mean, listen, this is, this is, this is Notre Dame, man. It's, it's <laughs> how's football going to do? I mean, yeah. and you know, we're, we're hoping every year for a title. You got Jack Swarbrick, you know, leaving as the AD with 10 national championships, the most ever for any AD. But as he even said, the one regret he lacks is the the football one. He's got one more football season uh, before he's done. So, you know, let's see if he can pull it off here. But, uh, you know, that's that's the goal, as we know, every single year here. So I got to ask, Mike, what are, what's your excitement level about the Irish heading into the season? Well, I mean, listen, getting Sam Hartman, you know, <clears throat> looking at the offense, I, I, I still think people forget you know, it was a, it was a, a backup quarterback last year in Drew Pine, you know, quarterback the, the season while Buckner coming back in the bowl game. And even with, with both of them, while they're, you know, good quarterbacks and we know they, they run them, we know it has to be a running offense. There was never that confidence of being able to throw if we had to, to protect the lead or throw to get ourselves back into a game. Right. That being the biggest thing, if you get down in a position where you have to throw to get back into the game, we didn't put a lot of fear in the opponents as a passing offense. We knew throw the ball to Michael Mayer. He's going to find a way to get it and gut out some yards afterward. I mean, that that was it. Right. And and that, that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, you, you I'm not saying it to disparage anybody. That's just what the offense was. Tommy Reese did his best to call around all the, the you know, the talent that he had. So this year, we know we have the running game still. Uh, you know you have the offensive line. You got some excellent anchor tackles. So you know you're still going to live on a running game. But now you have a quarterback that can throw you into good situations and or out of bad situations. At least we've seen him do that. I called one of his games a couple of years ago when I was calling games for Learfield on the radio uh, at his place at Wake Forest, I think when they played North Carolina State. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the kid can whip the ball around. And I, I think that's what people are going to be excited about is to see where this passing game can go. Mike, we get into a lot of these big picture subjects in the summer. Um, I had a chance to sit down with Marcus Freeman last week, and we were talking about some of the issues that fans had, one of them being the transfer policy that they're concerned about. You know, the grad transfers get in very easily, the freshmen, yep. and then it starts to get sticky. And uh, it seems like a big sticking point is the the deans don't want somebody to get a Notre Dame degree when they've earned most of their credits somewhere else. They're also concerned about the transferable credits. As a Notre Dame alum, how do you feel about that topic, both from a football standpoint and somebody that has a Notre Dame degree that means a lot? So. So the way I look at it is I understand the standards to get into Notre Dame. Let's just start with, you know, a kid who's a senior in high school and trying to get into Notre Dame and what the standard is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know a lot of fans have said, let's lower that so we can get more kids. And I have no problem what the standard is to get in. I do not. That's right. fine by me. I'll say this, though. If you have a, 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 trans, a student that wants to transfer and has most of his credits somewhere else, but he has – in good enough standing to get into Notre Dame, then let him get into Notre Dame. I have I have zero problem with that. If he still has the academic wherewithal from the credits he had to his academic standing that he could get into Notre Dame, then let him into Notre Dame. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with this. Listen, NIL and the transfer portal, you know where they're going? Nowhere. 
So <laughs> you better learn to deal with it. I know we have the, the fund that's going on here to help with the NIL. And there's going to be the transfer portal. I just saw the, the interview that Nick Saban did with Joel Klatt. And I mean, I, I just sit here and, and kind of shake my head at him saying, talking, you know, I'm paraphrasing when he says, the kids and commitment, they have a contract and there's an obligation when you sign a contract. I said, Nick, you could be talking about any coach who signs a five-year contract and after two years they ditch. Where's their obligation? They don't have an obligation. And for college now, it's four, usually one-year scholarships. There are some schools that honor four years of it, but there are others, it's year to year. So that next year comes around, you could be out. So, you know, I, I I don't want to hear the coaches complaining about that. We're in a position now where is it a little more muddled? Absolutely. You yeah. And you know what you got to do? Deal with it. And you better learn to deal with it in a good way. Instead of complaining and moaning about it, that's not going to get you anywhere, is find a solution, you know, of, of how you're going to go about it. And we know Nick only speaks when he has a, a plan in mind. You know, he's just not spitting into the wind. So that, that that's my thought on that. If a kid is in academically good enough standing to get into Notre Dame, no matter where his credits came from, and he wants to transfer here and the coaching staff wants him and he fits that academic side of it, I have no problem letting him in. Mike, I'm curious, because you live in town during part of the year, how do you balance sort of wanting to be a resource for the program and maybe getting in Marcus Freeman's ear too much or someone else's ear too much at Notre Dame? Oh, I, I I do not do that. I, I've had many conversations with Marcus. If Marcus would like me to do something, you know, me and Mike have hosted, you know, the, uh, a couple of uh, the, the banquets at the end of the year. We've gone over to practice, um, you know, to, to check out what's going on. We've I hung out with them a lot when we were doing that uh, uh, that uh, jersey reveal last year, oh, yeah, the Hangover yeah. parody, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. That's right. That's where I learned of Marcus's love for playing cards. We played a ton of cards on the flight out there and such. Um, I, I Listen, I didn't do it with my kids. Once they got to high school, I sat in the stands and I just cheered like a parent. If a coach in with the kids' high school wanted me to participate in a practice or in the summer and something, I was more than, than happy to. But I didn't initiate that. And I certainly, listen, Marcus has been a coach for a long time. He's got a lot of coaches for a long time. You ain't going to learn anything from me. So, yes, uh, we, we chat, we talk, you know, we talk football, we talk life. I talk about, you know, his kids, especially. I was a wrestler in high school and in college. So his son, as a true freshman, yeah. took sixth, you know, yeah. in the state wrestling. So, we, you know, we talk about that. So I, I don't know if I'm truly, I don't know, think I'm a resource uh, <laughs> from the coach's standpoint for this. Uh, I just I just love to be a fan and, and hope they do well. Mike, I wondered if you know Pete Bavacqua and what you think of that hiring. I've known Pete for a few years, um, just for the fact that being here <clears throat> during the football season um, and doing stuff in pregame at times down on the field. I, I've seen Pete. I've, I've known Pete now for a few years. But first, what a great story. The guy's a walk-on punter for Lou Holtz, and now he's the AD of the school he went to. I mean, that's about as cool as it gets, right? And listen, we, we know his resume, CEO of the PGA, was a lawyer and what he did with NBC. So all the confidence in the world with Pete in knowing what is going to happen. Listen, anytime you're going to take on a new role, Marcus Freeman had never been a head coach. Uh, and all of a sudden he's sitting in the head coaching chair. There's always going to be things that you were like, oh, wow, didn't see that one coming or didn't really know about that one, even though. You prepare for that. Marcus has wanted to be a head coach, and then he got to be one, but there's always things that come up. It's going to be the same way for Pete. Now, Pete's going to get here in July, I believe, and kind of learn the ropes along the way, but there are going to be some things that he's like, oh, wow, okay, didn't didn't really know about this. But I think he's going to be pretty well prepared for what, you know, for what it means to be an AD and the power that you have. I mean, the, the power Jack had as the athletic director of Notre Dame, you know, in these, in these meetings with the, with the commissioners of the different, you know, power five, you know, conferences and Jack to be involved, one of the, the few people involved in expanding the playoffs. That's the one great thing about Notre Dame. And, and one of the things people hate about Notre Dame, and I always get on people about, they're like, Oh, Notre Dame, you get this, you get that. I said, listen, Notre Dame doesn't go and hold a gun to anybody's head. <laughs> you know, th this is all offered to Notre Dame. So, you know, they're answering the phone. 
You know, they don't have to, at times don't have to make a lot of calls, just like, you know, for, for the big 10, you know, are they ever going to join the big 10? We'll see right now. Notre Dame's in a great position. Pete's coming into a, a great position different than when Jack came in. The, the interesting thing to me is Pete, you know, in coming up soon would have been on one side of the table and Jack on the other side of the table, working out the new media deal. Now Pete's over on this side talking to some of his, you know, guys he worked with at NBC and negotiating. So that's going to be pretty wild. I don't think Pete will have a say or input. You guys may know better than me. The apparel deal is probably going to be done pretty soon. I think Uh, they're going to announce it next month. Yeah. So, so that won't be Pete, but the new media deal that, that's got to be an odd one for Pete there, but I think he's going to do a great job. I, I, I texted him right away and congratulated him, and I, I can't wait to see him around on campus here. And you can give him a tour on your golf cart. That's exactly right, my <laughs> golf cart. And and now I don't have to be careful of who rides on the golf cart, you know, because, you know, the, this hell, the student athletes are going to have their own golf carts. I mean, when, <laughs> when my kids were here, I had to tell them when I wasn't here, don't you drive around in that. That's a violation. And my <laughs> golf cart will get taken away and I will disown <laughs> you as a child. <laughs> well, we're glad no one got disowned. Yes. Uh, Mike, we appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Uh, good luck this weekend with the Golick Subpar Classic. And as I said earlier, GolickFamilyFoundation.com for more information if you'd like to get involved with some fundraising. Yeah, and, I appreciate that very much. And tell us a little bit where people can see you or the, beyond the golf thing. So, what, what are you doing these days? So DraftKings is, is starting a sports channel and it's one of those, man, guys, let me tell you, you want to talk about things I don't understand <laughs> a lot is, is the different ways you stream the, the, the Roku's of the world and the Samsung TVs and all the different things of where you can be seen, which is kind of the, the big thing now. So mm-hmm. that, DraftKings is out on those, some of those, they'll be out on more of those. And they just didn't want to be a, a betting site. They're starting a, basically a sports channel where we're doing sports wow. shows. So Mike and I are doing a show on that, you know, metal arc with Dan Levitard and Stu, they're doing a show on that. Me and Jess Matana are doing a show on that. So, and, and then they also own Vissen. So they're doing shows, those shows on there as well. So it's like a new sports network that started just like a couple of months ago. Uh, so that's going. And then I'm going to continue calling games for Westwood one that holds the national contract uh, for the NFL on the radio games. And I'll, I'll continue to do the Sunday night games myself and Ryan Radke. So I've been enjoying doing that. It's always been great. I go to the Notre Dame game on Saturday and early Sunday morning, I fly out and do the Sunday night game. So cool. uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, you are busier than we are, and you're still raising way more money than we are. So <laughs> you, you're you getting quite a lot done, Mike. As I said, thanks for joining us, and uh, we really appreciate your time. You got it, guys. No problem. Take care. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND, and Eric's at EHansonND. First one we have is from Michael John at John Dow, bunch of numbers. Who do you believe will be ND's starting linebackers next year? And at what positions? Also, what are your feelings on this four-two-five or three-three-five defense that ND seems to prefer? Seems to take a more talented linebacker off the field in favor of a less talented safety. Okay, let's talk about the starting linebackers first, and then we'll get into the schematic stuff. We'll break this up in a couple here. I think JD Bertrand is the absolute when you look at a starter. He'll be starting at middle linebacker. And then I think it gets a little bit blurry. And I think part of that is you still have some moving parts that can shift in August and and late July in terms of starters and roles and stuff. But I think going into August uh, training camp or in late July training camp, as it is this year, I expect Jack Kaiser to nail down the weak side linebacker job. And I expect Jalen Sneed to surface at Rover. Sneed is more of a projection than it is evidence that I've seen to this point. But I did talk to Marcus Freeman about him last week. And then I think you'll see linebackers having specific roles and packages. For example, Mark Maris Leofow, I think you'll see him move from being a weak side linebacker at times to being a pass rusher at times. I think you'll see Ziegler get some rotational reps at middle linebacker, and then perhaps one of the two freshmen could crack the rotation. Yeah, I, I 
pretty much in agreement there with you on all of that. And I, I, not to uh, pat you on the back there, but um, did Marcus Freeman said Jalen Sneed's going to play a lot. So that leads me to believe that he's potentially in line to, to be a starting Rover for Notre Dame. Um, the Kaiser thing is something I think we thought could happen more than it did last year. Um, but Notre Dame didn't necessarily do that. And Maris Leofile was the leader in, in snaps on defense last year. I don't see that being the case again this year. Um, a, as for the four, two, five, three, three, five defense, I, I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't really agree with the premise that Notre Dame seems to be taking more talented linebacker off the field in favor of less safety. I, I guess this is how I think of Notre Dame's defensive packages. It's base is more of a four, three, although I guess you could probably say nickel is the base because, um, they, it may, they may end up using it more frequently, but they did last year. They were in nickel more than they were quote unquote base. Right. And so in the quote unquote base with a Rover, you have, and that, that was what, when Mike Elko and Clark Lee came here, it was sort of called the four, two, five. And I never totally understood like the Rover always seemed to play more of a linebacker role than I did a, a d- defensive back role. So I don't really, I never really grasped the concept between, behind calling it a four, two, five, other than maybe just to differentiate the idea behind it and sort of make it unique. Um, So I think it's more of a four, three than anything else. Nickel is, is then more of a four, two, five where Notre Dame takes a lot the Rover off the field for a nickel back who is usually a cornerback. Although sometimes it could be a safety um, depending on the skill set that Notre Dame has at its nickel back position. Um, Then three, three, five is a nickel with a linebacker replacing a lineman. Um, and then the only time you would be taking a linebacker off the field for another safety would be in a dime package when it's more like four down linemen, um, one linebacker, a nickelback, and then rather than bringing two cornerbacks onto the field, Notre Dame tends to bring – or two extra cornerbacks on the field. They tend to bring one being the nickelback and then one extra safety. Um, Now – could is Notre Dame best suited to maybe bring an extra corner than a safety? Maybe. Um, because it's not like Notre Dame is uh filthy rich in safeties right now, although some of their safeties that Notre Dame has have cornerback experience or nickelback experience. Um, so I think that's why we may see some of that this coming season. So the way I look at it is pretty similar to Tyler. I think that the rover positions as he mentioned and and I, I think the viper as well has evolved significantly from the Michael Mike Elko Clark Lee model if you had Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa to man that position I think you would see three linebackers stay on the field a lot more often right um Al Golden likes to match up with the personnel of the offense and Marcus when I had a chance to Freeman, when I had a chance to talk to him last week, actually kind of brought that up. And Kaiser, as good of a player as he is, as a, as a, I think he's just more suited at weak side linebacker. As a rover, he doesn't give you the right matchup in three and four wide receiver looks. That's not a slam on him. He'd be the first to to admit that. I think Sneed may have the skill set, but not the experience. I think Osbury is a kid that may have that skill set down the road and then it really comes down to who you have at nickel and the quality that you have at nickel um and notre dame seems to have safeties and corners that can fill that role last year was primarily Tariq bracy uh it seemed like clarence lewis got a lot of run there this spring the thought was bringing thomas harper a safety from oklahoma state into play antonio carter has that skill set uh, Ramon Henderson could play some nickel. Um, and so it's, I think where teams try to exploit you if you are in nickel is in the run game. And if you have a really good physical corner or you have a really good safety who's fast enough to run with, you know, inside receivers, then I think that's ultimately probably the best defense that you can be in. I think a guy like Micah Bell, that's where I would be suspicious because he is super fast and I think he's 165 pounds. And so I don't think, at least initially, until he gets stronger and bigger, that, for example, that he would 
I think he could be exploited in the run game in the nickel, for example. So right. I, I think it just depends on the on the personnel. But I think all in all, I think the one thing that I've seen with Al Golden in the spring and the times that we talked to him was a lot more confidence in terms of attacking offenses rather than him like reoriented himself to the college game and and really kind of being on his heels in terms of okay here's something new I haven't seen before and he usually had an answer but I think now he feels like he can kind of be the instigator rather than the reactor in that equation and it'll be interesting to if we see some of that in the uh, training camp practices. All right. Uh, next is an email from Jeff in Phoenix. So, yes, you can even reach us by email if I am s- smart enough to remember to include it. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff asks, Andy enters the season with three scholarship quarterbacks, Hartman, Angeli, and Minchie, and in 2024 projects to also have three scholarship quarterbacks, Carr, Angeli, and Minchie. Absent any incoming or outgoing transfers, is, the, is three the right number of quarterbacks to balance competition and the possibility of injury? I think ideally you want four. Is it realistic at a place like Notre Dame? Is it realistic at the better FBS schools? And and can you do that, especially if C.J. Carr emerges as the number one guy post Sam Hartman? And that's that's where I think it's hard to get because there's always you know you can't just go into the transfer portal and not expect ripples on your own roster. You know, had Notre Dame gone and gotten a older quarterback to be the backup, if they were able to land somebody like that in May, I don't know that Angeli and Minchie both would have stayed. I could see Steve Angeli getting a little itchy about that situation. And so I, I, Hopefully you at least have three, but but ideally I still think if you can get four, that's what you would like. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, I I agree. Um, I I prefer to have four. Um, in a in an ideal situation, Tyler Buckner would still be part of the program, and then your numbers would be at four. Um, but his exit made that um not likely to happen, and hard to sort of add another person to that room at that juncture. So um, Notre Dame's going to have to live with that. I think that's the risk you run when you, when you go to the transfer portal, especially for a starting quarterback. Um, so I think uh, that's just something you always have to keep in mind in terms of, uh, especially at the quarterback position, because they're not all going to play. Um, so you have to uh, know that there's the possible consequences to that. Um, and that's that's why Notre Dame will enter the season with only three quarterbacks. But if if you're trying to win a national championship and you feel Sam Hartman's your best chance of doing it, I think you had to do that um, in order to in order to make make a run at at being the best team possible. All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. What are your biggest unanswered questions heading into fall camp? I think a lot of them are off the field, but I'll go with on the field <laughs> ones. Uh, I came up with five, and I'll run through them quickly. How good is ND's backup quarterback? How good are the offensive guards? Because your offensive line is only going to be good as your weakest link. Uh, Tight end health is a question for me. Difference makers at defensive line, are there any of them? Are there more than one? (laughs) And then can safety position be a strength? I think the the what we don't know much about at this point are the two transfers. And I think they could end up being real assets at that position group. Um, yeah, I, I came up with five as well. Three of ours are, are pretty much the same as ones you had. I, I had who will play the guard spots and how good can the line be? Will Notre Dame's defense create a consistent pass rush and do the Irish have enough talent at safety? Um, the other two questions was a quarterback question, but or related to the quarterbacks, but are Notre Dame's receivers capable of maximizing Sam Hartman's capabilities as a quarterback? Um, and then my other question would be, can Notre Dame's linebackers make more plays? Um, those are the things that I don't know that we ha- can say with certainty um, going into the season um, will happen. But um, I think there's at least for maybe the majority, probably the majority of those, I think we feel 
good about those things, but they still have to be proven on the on the field come uh, come August twenty sixth and the the Saturdays after that. All right, next question is from LDL Go Irish on the Insider Lounge. I know and this was a bit of a long one, so bear with me here. Uh, LDL likes to ask long questions. I know rating for players either out of high school or in the transfer portal is not an exact science. Tyler Buckner's rivals transfer player ranking is the 461st best player and 38th best quarterback. Drew Pine is the 114th rated player and the 10th highest quarterback. Please give your take on why rivals has that great of a ranking disparity. Second part, Devin Leary from NC state going to Kentucky is the highest rated quarterback transfer quarterback and the fourth best possible best overall player per rivals in contrast. Sam Hartman is the third best quarterback in the portal, but with a considerably lower overall player ranking of 24. Is Leary that much better than Hartman to the evaluators at Rivals and why? I think my take on this, and I might get a little in a little bit of trouble saying it, but I think there was great ambition on the part of Rivals to do the rankings and to do the tracking and, and to get all these things up and running. I think that it became a much larger undertaking than anticipated and will require additional resources if we're going to be taken seriously. I, I think um, they're not, I don't cite a lot of those rankings and in, in articles because I do not believe in the authenticity of all of them. I think some of them have done very well and some of them were done in haste and, and not really given a lot of thought. And I think it also became confusing when you had the, the December, January bunch, and then you had the spring bunch and then trying to integrate those two uh, databases together. I think I have confidence that rivals will get this right, but I don't think it's right right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the like, how are you supposed Why to not be a team player there? Tyler? No, no. I mean, I, how, how can anyone act accurately rank, I don't even know how many players, how many are included on our rivals ranking. I don't even know the number, um, but like, there's just so many players and some of them haven't played at all. Some of them have played a ton. Um, so, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, it's guesswork just like the recruiting rankings are, but. Which, which are kind of evolving over a much longer period of time. Right. Yeah. And you have a longer, yeah, you have a longer field of, time to sort of figure out what your what your final position is on a player um as a high schooler whereas in this transfer portal window when a kid gets in the transfer portal people want to know right away how good he is compared to everyone else in the transfer portal um and so i because of that like i haven't spent a much time thinking about the transfer portal rankings i did a little bit here i don't love answering for someone else's rankings because i have i haven't spent time asking adam gorney specifically why Drew Pine is ranked higher than Tyler Buckner and anything else that was in this question. Rivals has always been pretty high on Drew Pine. Um, that has been consistent since he was in high school. Um, and I imagine the fact that he has a resume of work, whereas Notre Dame fans might nitpick it, it is at least a resume of work compared to Tyler Buckner doesn't really have a resume of work um, as a starting quarterback. So that experience gap is probably playing a role in the ranking. Um as for Devin Leary and Sam Hartman, I think the idea with Devin Leary would be that NC State didn't necessarily maximize his potential, whereas Wake Forest got maybe everything out of Sam Hartman. We don't know. I think Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame staff believes that there's still more to get out of Sam Hartman, and Sam Hartman certainly believes that as well. Um, I think there's more buzz with the NFL community, too, and sometimes rivals is thinking about that with rankings as well. Sure, yeah, with Devin Leary being a more – will probably be in the NFL draft this past season if he didn't get hurt, um, whereas Sam Hartman chose not to go in the NFL draft to to go to Notre Dame, um, and that wasn't injury-based. So, um, that I mean, that's just us trying to explain what we, we are – opinions that aren't ours, um, but that's, that's, what, that's sort of the lens that I look through it for. Uh, another question from LDL Go Irish and more of a suggestion uh, than a question, but let me run through it as uh, again. This is a follow up to your discussion on transfers, which we had on Tuesday night or Wednesday or Tuesday nights. Football never sleeps. Um, easy for me to keep the day straight. Um, <laughs> I believe freshman transfers that would have been accepted in Notre Dame and who have completed a rigorous freshman year of study 
should be allowed to transfer. Here is the Harvard policy. We accept a small group of exceptional students to transfer to Harvard College from other small, similar liberal arts programs, dot, 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 if they've completed at least one full academic year and not more than two of college coursework. This makes sense to me. In short, it means graduate, freshman, or sophomore transfers would be allowed. No junior or senior transfers. Your thoughts, as always, are appreciated. Does a compromise like this have merit? Well, LDL go Irish, I'll have to admit, I took a peek at your question, and that's one of the reasons I asked it to my colleague senior, <laughs> because I thought it would be really interesting to hear from a perspective of somebody that has a Notre Dame degree. I mean, I, I mentioned on Football Never Sleeps that it wouldn't bother me at my alma mater, Ohio State, for transfers to come in, because, especially because I think you know, your junior and senior years, you're taking really difficult classes in your major and you're going to earn that degree. Uh, it's not like you're taking the easiest electives during that time. Right. And so um, I would say I like where you're coming from, but I don't think it goes far enough. I think you need, I think you need to be open to junior and senior transfers. I think um, I, I, I like the Mike Golick senior approach. Yeah, I don't I don't know that having a strict outline of what is or isn't accepted is the best way to go about it. I think you have to have a policy that is flexible and examines every single case on its own. Um and this, I mean, the policy here, I mean, I looked up what Notre Dame lists as its policy and it's not incredibly different than what the Harvard College one that was quoted there is. Um Notre Dame seeks to admit a small number of extraordinary transfer students each year who will enhance the university through their involvement, passions, care for others, and demonstrate academic excellence. Each year we receive approximately 1,000 fall semester transfer applications for 50 transfer openings, and we receive close to 100 transfer applications for five to 10 spots in the spring. Students who successfully transferred to Notre Dame have completed at least one full academic year in, degree, in a degree-seeking program at another college or university after graduating from high school. Um, so it doesn't go farther than the one year, but uh, in the in the policy itself, but obviously we know that other people are being considered. Um, so I just think it has to be more welcomed and there needs to be more consideration given than already. I, although I guess folks could say, well, we're giving the consideration, we're just not approving them. Um, I just think it needs to be an easier process and a one that is more welcoming um, if Notre Dame is going to truly be able to take advantage of the current transfer um, portal market. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie, underscore Marie. What grade would you give the following for recruiting? Chancey Stuckey, Dylan McCullough, Al Washington, Chris O'Leary, and Al Golden. It seems like Golden's name is not often mentioned by recruits. Do you feel he is 100% invested in recruiting at Notre Dame, or do you think he has one foot out the door, or is he somewhere in between? Okay, let me take that second part, the Al Golden thing first, and then maybe we can get into the grades just so that we're not otherwise going to be talking for a long time and Tyler's going to go to sleep. Um, Too late. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Tyler talks to the recruits and, and Charleston does themselves more than I do in the stories that they've written. I've seen Al Golden's name pop up. I know. Tom Lemming, who I talk to on a pretty regular basis, who's been in charge of the prep football report for decades. He brings up, he has a lot of conversations with Al. Um, and, and, and he talks about Al's enthusiasm for recruiting now. And I think Al Golden is hundred percent invested this year. I do not think Al Golden is going to be at Notre Dame a long time. He, he actually could have left after one year uh, at, certainly had was in the mix for other other jobs and they would be going back to the NFL uh but I think as far as while he's at Notre Dame he's 100% invested and I think he also lets his position coaches do a lot of the non-linebacker recruiting and even um you know even with linebacker recruiting it's kind of a um it's kind of to tag teaming with with those um those recruits and so forth so with uh, coach bola so i i don't i don't want to say that he's mentioned as often as somebody like chancy stuckey 
or Dylan McCullough who are just, you know, killing it and recruiting right now. But I do think, uh, I do hear his name. I, I think certainly as much as somebody like Clark Lee. Um, and so I don't, I don't have issues with Al Golden uh, not being involved enough. Yeah, I, I'll chime in there and then I'll give my grade to Al Golden because I think it's, it sort of goes hand in hand with that. I think I think Al Golden is doing a better job than he was last year. Um, I think he leaned too much on James Laurinaitis, um, and that created sort of a gap and a, and a hurdle in this 2024 recruiting cycle when James Laurinaitis left for Ohio State and Notre Dame sort of lost some of the ground it had with Peyton Pierce um, and, and some other linebacker recruits because James Laurinaitis had played such an important role in the recruitment from the Notre Dame perspective. Um, I think Al Golden has maybe learned from that and has, has become more active with these guys in the 2024 and, and 2025 classes. Um, my my overall nitpick with Al Golden would be that I don't know that he's making a huge impact defensive wide yet. Like I think I don't I don't necessarily hear a lot of like the safety saying I'm coming to play in Notre Dame's defense because of what Al Golden can do for me or what Al Golden's vision for the defense is. Um, but I think I think you got to take it a step at a time. I think he had to sort of reestablish and own the linebacker recruiting. And I think once he gets now that he's getting that sort of under control, um, and the big test case for that I think will be Kingston Villamuasa, um, Notre Dame's top linebacker target. Um, if they can get him into the class, then um, people are going to think a little bit more highly of Al Golden as a recruiter. Um, so I would give Golden probably a C plus grade as a recruiter. The 2023 class, he basically inherited uh, Drake Bowen. Well, he did inherit Drake Bowen and basically inherited Preston Center as well. That was that recruitment was wrapping up while he was still in the hiring process. Um, that Notre Dame added Jaden Osbury, um, which is a plus, a very important recruiting get, and and Al Golden did play a role in that recruitment. Um, the 2024 class is more of a mixed bag. Bodie Cahoon um, is a four star recruit. Um, I don't, I don't love him. I don't, I don't dislike him. I just don't know that he's necessarily an elite not even linebacker. platonically. You don't love him. No, he's. I just don't know that he's an elite linebacker recruit. Um, I, I don't dislike the Teddy Rezac one, but that was a little bit of a creative stretch. I think maybe at this linebacker position, I'm interested to see what he looks like. I think there's uh, a chance there's a lot of upside there, and could be sort of a Drew Tranquil type player. And I think people would certainly change their tune if that becomes his career. Um. I would probably bump Golden's grade up to a B minus if Notre Dame gets Kingston Filiamuasa, which uh, we'll talk a little bit about later in the podcast about where Notre Dame stands with him. Um, you, how about we go one coach by we'll go coach by coach with our grades, Eric, rather than having us rattle off. So, what's your grade for Golden? Yeah, I, I'm more of a progress report guy, so I'm probably not going to put a letter grade. I'll say whether they have a note sent home to their parents. <laughs> um, I would say Al Golden. I would um, also, I mean, I mean, some of it depends where it ends up. If they get KVA, then it changes the whole tenor of the class. If they don't get him, I think it's disappointing. And he is, he, he's going to get a detention um, <laughs> and a letter home. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, when and the I'm, note, then the note's not talks too much to his classmates is needs to talk more to his classmates. Unlike my seven-year-old grandson who, who got an award for talking to his um, classmates. <laughs> um, So I, I will, so I'm doing the letter grade. Eric's doing the notes. Um, Chancey Stucky, let's start back at the top. I give him an A minus, I think. And I, I, I was including both the 2023 and 2024 classes when, when evaluating this. I think he had a great haul in the 2023 class. Maybe could have gotten a better fourth wide receiver, but got three really good ones. Um, we'll see what Caleb Smith out of Texas um, can bring to Notre Dame as the as a lone three star there. Um, I think this 2024 class with Cam Williams um, at the top of it can be really good. I like Micah Gilbert as well, and Isaiah Canyon sort of the wild card. If he reaches his potential, um, I think it's a great haul. If he if Notre Dame was off here. Um, and, and and went in on a guy that is more potential than reality, um, then that may be a little bit of a hole. And obviously with Notre Dame not going with more than three, I think that obviously you have to make sure you want to hit on all those guys there. So 
But I, I think Chancey Stuckey's been doing a great job on the recruiting trail, so I give him an A-. I would um, tell uh, Chancey's parents that he's been doing extra credit um, mm-hmm. and that he he is doing great in class. Don't worry about Chancey. I like the fact that he's been able to stack another good class on top of a really good class. And I think Cam Williams is outstanding. And I like where the 2025 recruiting is going if we peek ahead to it. I I, I think Chancey has definitely found his groove with recruiting. And it wasn't easy because Notre Dame didn't have a great recent history of, you know, the wide receiver, you know, caliber that Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama had had. Right. Um, and maybe Chancey Stuckey's uh, outfit at Tuesday's evaluation camp was a reflection of his confidence because he was he was rocking a sleeveless shirt. <laughs> Marty Biaggi, who sort of runs the camp on the microphone, uh, made a joke and said here he was introducing everyone to the the coaches, introducing the coaching staff, and said something that they needed to get Chancey a bigger shirt. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. <laughs> That's great. Uh, next up, Dylan McCullough. I give Dylan a B plus. Um, I think it was a tough break in the 2023 class by losing Dylan Edwards and Jaden Lamar's commitments. Um, but obviously Jeremiah loves a big time recruit, um, and I think he has a good group lined up in the 2024 class with Aeneas Williams and Kedron Young. Yeah, I I probably have a higher opinion of Dylan, um, even though that those guys left the class. He hang on. If I had to pick one that I really wanted, right? Of those, I would have picked Jeremiah Love. I I like the two running backs he's got in the twenty twenty four class, and I'll throw Devin Ford in there as a transfer recruit. Sure. Um, and and I think Devin Ford is a good lottery ticket. I think he's more than a lottery ticket. He may may not pan out, but that's the kind of kid you want to take a chance on. Elite speed, experience, willing and able to play special teams. I think that's a nice addition. Yeah, and I think I think he looks kind of smart. I mean, Jabron Payne hasn't done anything in a college football game of that that mattered. But when they took him, I was like, what What are they doing taking Jabron Payne? Like, do they really need him? Like, what's he gonna? But I I mean, they the numbers make more sense now. Um, they it, it put them in a better position to handle some of the issues that they've dealt with with injuries and um, a, a transfer out. Um, and I thought he showed some some ability in the spring. So I think there's more there to his career than I thought maybe early on because of, I was mostly just scared off by his injury history. It's like, man, what this kid can't stay healthy. What are, what are they taking a chance on him for? Um, but I think uh, so far so good when it comes to that for for Dylan McCullough. Um, next up, Al Washington. I give Al a C. Um, in the twenty twenty three class, he held on to Brent, Brennan Vernon, which Brennan Vernon was a long time commit, but he is an interesting character. So I, I think I, I think it holding on to him is it is still an accomplishment. Um, the rest of the class, though, I think are all projects: Devin Houston, Armel Mukum, Bubakar Traor. Um, the twenty twenty four class, um, I think he's done a better job. I think uh, offering Bryce Young first makes him look pretty smart. I think that's a nice get. Um, Logan Thomas is a great addition at the defensive end position. I like Cole Mullins. I think he's underrated. Uh, Sean Savalano is an intriguing addition. Um, and I think this group is a Justin Scott away from being a great class. So if Notre Dame can close with getting its coveted five-star defensive tackle, um, then, then now Washington can move his grade up, uh, higher than this current C that I have it at right now. Uh, my, my note to his parents would be, this is going to be ju- this is a class that's going to be judged by Justin Scott whether he can get a Chicago kid from a Catholic school with a lot of competition or not. It's kind of like when you're putting together your pitching staff for a major league team, and neither Tyler nor I are following a major league <laughs> team right now. Um, but Justin Scott is your top of a rotation guy. Everybody looks better if Justin Scott is in that group, uh, and I think. You know, there were some big names in the 2023 class that came to visit and that either left the class or never um, actually committed to Notre Dame, but were close. And so I think, you know, that's why this is more of a progress report. You get Justin Scott, he signs in December. I think that's very successful. All right. What do you, uh, I'll, I'll, let me weigh in first. Chris O'Leary. 
And then um, he added JJB from the portal too, which yeah. we still not quite sure what we're getting from him. Sure. Chris O'Leary, who is um, the last coach we have here, I give him a C minus. Obviously, in the 2023 class, lost Peyton Bowen and Brandon Hillman. I don't know that either of those were necessarily his fault. Um, added Ben Minnick, who I think some people question at first, but I think more people have come around on. Um, Adon Schuler was also in the class previously. So I think all told a fine class, not a spectacular class by any means. The 2024 class, if if Notre Dame can get Bronte Johnson later this month, and, and the job that Notre Dame has done in convincing him that safety is his best path. Um, I think that would be a huge get. Kennedy, Ur- Kennedy Urlacher is intriguing. Um, I'm not sold on Tabron Benny Powell, who committed to Notre Dame earlier this uh, today. Um, but maybe Chris O'Leary is onto something here, and Tabron's going to have a great um, senior season after playing outside linebacker last year because the safeties on his team were Ben Minnick and Malik Hartford, who was a four-star Ohio State signee. So um, the 2024 class has been an adventure, no doubt. Um, but I think it, uh, it could, it could, it could be stabilizing here if you get someone like Bronte Johnson in it. And Notre Dame's history with safety recruiting, if you take Kyle Hamilton out of it, you know, predates Chris O'Leary. And those issues kind of seem to have followed where, Notre Dame takes some big swings and and get some big misses early. There were some five-star kids that seemed to have an interest in Notre Dame early in the cycle and that were pretty, Notre Dame was out of it pretty quickly. Uh, I do think, you know, if I think Bronte Johnson, if he's in the class, that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, he's done well in the portal. Brandon Joseph, even though I don't think he played to the level that either he or Notre Dame maybe expected, including with some injuries, think about what the safeties would have been without Brandon Joseph. And I I really like Antonio Carter and his potential here. Um, but, I, you know, again, he, he's, he can finish strong with Davis Andrews. He can finish strong with some other people. But um, I think the 2025 class needs to be, you know, a wow class. I, I think you know, you need more of the top end players. You look at their composition of the safeties that they've, or the safeties that are not transfers, and you have a former wide receiver and two former cornerbacks. Now, give it, give Chris a lot of credit for getting those guys up to speed, but the fact is, Notre Dame hasn't been good at recruiting or developing their own safeties. All right. Um... Thank you, Marie, for the uh, the long question and answer session there. Um, let's move on to SJB75 on the Insider Lounge. I get the feeling that Kingston Viliamu Asa will announce within two to three weeks. Re- rather than ask your opinion about KVA and where he attends college, which in this case, based on my reading, is unfair, do the two of you believe Notre Dame has a realistic shot at Kingston Viliamu Asa? You know, I haven't talked to Charleston since he wrote his story and I edited it this morning, but in just reading the story and reading between the lines, I get the sense that it's a Notre Dame-Ohio State battle going into the Ohio State visit. I do think Notre Dame has a realistic shot. Yeah, I mean, I think... I, <laughs> I think you haven't been Based paying on close... the quotes in the story. Yeah, I, I don't think you followed, you've been following our coverage closely if you don't think that Notre Dame has a realistic shot because I think we've been pretty uh, uh, transparent with that our, our feelings uh, at least my feelings on where where Notre Dame stands and its uh, ability to potentially get into the class so I think Notre Dame only continued to help itself um, with its official visit this past weekend um, and obviously has to sort of survive the Ohio State official visit this coming weekend but um, I think we'll know soon and and at some point in july what his decision will be next question also from sjb 75 2020 2025 quarterback recruiting who is your current favorite to most likely verbal to notre dame i would say deuce knight but i don't think that's a slam dunk uh but i think that's where notre dame seems to be putting most of its energy and i think 
you know, just based on what Tyler and Charleston have been writing, that Tennessee really is the threat there. And so when you only have one other competitor, I kind of, that that's where I'm going to kind of put my chips on this one. Yeah, I, I think it's Deuce Knight um, as of this moment. Um, I think if Notre Dame senses that it's fading with Deuce Knight or doesn't think that's possible, then I think they they will entertain potentially adding more quarterback uh, offers to the 2025 class because I think that's sort of a pretty clear-cut best match potential um, with, with where Notre Dame stands with Deuce Knight. Um in terms of its interest in him and his interest in Notre Dame, but Tennessee's right there. He's visiting Ole Miss today. Alabama got into the mix, but um, Notre Dame is right there battling it out for the number one dual threat quarterback in the 2025 class. Next question is from Alan E on the insider lounge. Who do you think will be the backup quarterback this season? Kenny Minchie or Steve Angeli? How big of a drop off, if any, do you see for the Irish special teams this season? You know, I almost feel like I answered this before, either in a chat or in our insider lounge and stuff, but I'll answer it again, and and I think my answer will still be the same. <laughs> uh, I think Angelia's edge, I think Minchie is coming. I think he definitely has the kind of game where he could overtake Angeli, but, you know, Angeli definitely knows the offense better. Uh, I think that there's a new quarterback's coach maybe gives more of an open mind to to Minchie maybe uh, overtaking him. But if I had to give you an answer right now, Angeli, as far as the special teams, um, I think what they did leading the nation in punt blocks is going to be hard to equal. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think Marty Biaggi has some of that in his past and wants to do that. I don't know if he's got Brian Mason's kind of rain man expertise, you know, at, at, at doing it. Um, there's certainly room for kickoff returns uh, and kickoff returns and punt coverage. Um, and I think Spencer Schrader and Bryce McPherson, both, I would feel pretty good about their potential as kicker and punter. I think Bryce McPherson has a kind of leg to be the best punter Notre Dame's had in a long line of good punters. It's just, you know, what is this mental game like? And and the fact that Marty himself was a specialist, I think you you finally have a special teams guy that, that did that in college that really has, um, you know, you don't have to go to the out um, outside kicking sources. You have somebody in the house that can do that. So do I feel like it's going to be a drop-off? I don't think so because, one, it's still a priority. Marty Baggi still has his pick of the roster, and they're still going to get the time to work on it. So that's why I think it'll still be as good as last year, even though Brian Mason was amazing. Yeah, I, I would th- I, on the special teams, I would say there's probably some drop-off just because I feel like it's so hard to replicate what Notre Dame did last year, especially on the punt block front like that's that's not a normal season um and so if if that comes back to earth will Notre Dame be that much better at kicking and punting than it was last season to make up the difference for that I I don't know return Uh, or or kickoff return um there's certainly different ways that that could happen but um I'm not ready to predict that it will I'm not saying it can't um but I think there's too many unknowns there to go out and say for sure that this they're going to be better um, on special teams than they were last year because it was one of the best special team units in the country last year. Um, as for the quarterbacks, I pretty similar to Eric. I, my, the way I phrased it was that I'd bet on Angeli, but I, I think it could be Minchie. Um, I just think Steve Angeli is better positioned to do that, but I do like the talent uh, that Kenny Minchie has and his ability in the long term. And so I, I just don't know that he's going to be able to put that together as a freshman to unseat Steve Angeli as the backup. All right, our last question is from Charlie T on the Insider Lounge. Is football never sleeps inspired by Neil Young's Rust Never Sleeps? It wasn't, and and they're really two different. Um, well, I mean, Tyler came up with it, so I probably shouldn't speak for him, but I don't <laughs> think that Tyler was a study of Neil Young, who <laughs> no, who who was a big influence in our in our 
rock culture and our pop culture. I'll, I'll tell you for me what why I love the name when I heard it, because football never sleeps is about the persistence of football in the news, in our thoughts, in our hearts, and thus in our discussions. Russ Never Sleeps from was the name of a Neil Young album. Um, and it also is in the lyric of Hey, Hey, My, My into the Black. And, it, and it's interesting because that lyric wasn't originally in the song. Um, Neil had a collaboration with the lead singer of the punk rock group Devo. And really, to me, what, what I've seen in interviews and theory about that is Russ Never Sleeps conceptually was about evolving not to get left behind or deemed obsolete. Well, that's a. Uh, I, I think that could be some somewhat fitting. I mean, the fact that we're getting on YouTube. I, I, I if yeah. I had told you six that's years true. ago you'd have a YouTube show, you'd be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> that's um, true. But uh, it it did not. I'm not an. I don't know a ton about Neil Young. I mean, I know who Neil Young is, but he he. I wouldn't describe him in any way as an influence of mine. Um, honestly, I mean, I was just coming up with names uh, for our off-season YouTube show, which I think it's going to stick as our in-season YouTube show name as well, replacing what we had just called Monday Night Live, and we'll just keep it the same all year round. Um, my dad used to wear these shirts. My dad is a longtime football coach, high school football coach. Um, he had these football is life shirts, and I think that was sort of the uh, sort of where the idea came from, something like that. Um, and obviously we cover football year round. I, I always laugh when people ask us, well, what do you do when it's the off season? I was like, we still cover football. What do you mean? <laughs> there is no, there is no true off season in, in college football. Um, so um, yeah, that's where it came from. Uh, I pitched Eric a few different ideas as I, whenever we're brainstorming, I usually give him a few ideas um, and he liked that one the best. And I think uh, it's worked out for us. I, I like the name and uh, it seems to have resonated with folks and people at least remember it. So that. That is a good thing. All right. That's it for today's episode of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with your favorite golfing buddy. Uh, that will probably be the last Inside ND Sports Podcast with both Eric and I until late July, as we'll continue to alternate some vacation before preseason camp gets rolling. Um, but some combination of Eric and Charleston or me and Charleston uh, will likely greet you at least once or twice here um, between now and then we, as I alluded to earlier in the show, we recorded another football sleeps football, never sleeps. Geez, easy for me to say. <laughs> we, re <laughs> we recorded another football, never sleep show on YouTube last night. Um, maybe I need more sleep. Um, please support us on our YouTube channel with some likes, comments, and subscribing over there for free. That show will appear in this podcast feed later this week as well. And we'll continue to have plenty of Notre Dame football and recruiting coverage on the website this summer. So stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.